Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Well, you able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Around his front. Score! Tamu Solani with the steal. Three of the fans score one. Score! Off the floor. On the board. All right, we're back. It's a Sunday noon edition. I was trying to remember what time it was. <laughs> Pacific yeah, time. It's a Sunday noon edition of the Forever Mighty Podcast. Coming off a game last night where the Ducks lost 4-1 to one against the New York Rangers. We can call it a makeshift post-game show if we want, because the last game we did a post-game show for, so we only have one game to cover today. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit, some key points from that game. Obviously, Jacob Perot made his NHL debut. We got a few other topics to get to, including uh, Macy McTavish was uh, traded to another team in the OHL. Ryan Getzlaff should be back for tonight's game. We'll do a little preview of the Ducks' uh, postponed and rescheduled game versus the Detroit Red Wings. And Jacob Chicken rumors have resurfaced, and we have a few other topics we want to talk about. So we'll get to those in a little bit. Uh, as you can see, it's just Stephen and I today. I know I had promised, if you saw on social media, a full house of uh all of us including pat and jason but unfortunately jason's under the weather he's not feeling too great so he's out for this one and pat had something come up so it's uh, you're stuck with us again and if the when the guys come back <laughs> and they find out that the show no longer exists because nobody watches anymore then they <laughs> they can blame us so <laughs> what the hell happened we left you guys a perfectly fine podcast i don't know what happened yeah, sorry just went, to, left the went kids downhill from there Yeah, I think technically what this is is a between-game show, right? Because we'll wrap up last night a little bit, look at the Detroit game tonight, um, and then hit on just some of the key pieces, uh, like you said, that have come around. This this one puts me on the spot now. This means I have to release it after we're done recording today, doesn't it? (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, it's all good. Sorry, bud. Uh, I know, right? I, I mean, I have to do it, I guess, right? So. Well, we'll get we'll get it out there for you guys. Everybody who's listening to this, hopefully you can catch it before tonight's game. But a lot of the topics we have to cover kind of extend uh, some broader topics. Um, you know, the first one we should get into is big one for us. Jacob Perot made his debut last night. Big surprise, too. Wasn't uh, expecting that to happen. Kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, you know, obviously the Ducks are dealing with their own COVID issues right now. A lot of guys, I think seven players in protocol, or maybe six now that 
Getzlaff was out, but he didn't play last night. And the Gulls have their own uh, COVID issues right now. But coming off a game on Friday where Perot played for San Diego, he comes up and plays on a line with Zegras and Milano yesterday. Played a total of uh, 11.05, I think, and got some first power play time. So a, a decent debut, a little bit earlier than I expected. But I like that they gave him kind of full reins in a sense. I mean, he didn't play a ton of minutes, but he did get to play with Zegras and Milano and did get to play on the first power play. So it was nice to see him get... Uh, a pretty good opportunity to come in for his first NHL game. Yeah, I kind of, you know, this is one of those things that you can dismiss, but also just as easily, like, read into, I think. But for me, I thought it was really interesting when the the graphic came out from the Duck social media team that technically that was listed as the third line. Uh, And the first line was the Lundestrom with Comtroll and Terry, and then it was... uh, Oh my God, who is uh, Steele between yeah. the Swedes? Um, and I just thought that was really interesting because I think it kind of hints to a little bit at them wanting to insulate Perot. Like 11 minutes kind of gets a lot closer to what you think of as a third line player. Um, but like you said, at the same time, they put him on a line with two high end players who have been producing all year. They put him in an opportunity to where he can play the type of game that he's going to be playing. Um, you know, and it's it's really interesting, I think, to me, because it's something we've talked about um, as far as, like, you know, the Ducks being hesitant to call up some of their higher skill forwards to play them in bottom six roles, um, you know, because there always was that hard fourth line, and then it always seemed to still have the uh, desire for a third checking line kind of a thing. And I think we've kind of seen, well, I think, this is emblematic of the changes we've seen within the organization in that way because they played a top nine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, from a skill point of view, the third line is probably the Ducks' best line, um, even with it being Perot, who's unproven. Um, you know, just because I think Zegers is so creative. Um, oh, yeah, and the way Zegers and Milano have played this year, right? Like, it's uh, they're two of the Ducks' most dynamic offensive players at uh, right. I, I mean, the only one that could rival that is if Getzlaff was in the lineup, then maybe Getzlaff, Terry, and Comtois could be, you know, close to that. But in terms of like pure skill and creativity and out of the box thinking and plays, then yeah, it's always going to be Zegers and Milano, no matter who, who's with them. To be honest, even even if Nick mm-hmm. Deloria is on that line, I think they <laughs> they make up for it enough with the uh, the individual skill that they have. Um, yeah. No. So I just. But, yeah, I thought it was nice to see, right, because we've seen this team switch to a much more uh, open and attacking kind of style. The defense, um, you know, is more involved in the rush, and they're playing with more speed. And I think seeing, like, an actual skill top nine is is really encouraging. And, like, I understand that, like, you know, Silverberg's still more of a two-way guy, and even his defense this year is struggling. But, like, theoretically what they're putting him out there to do is just be you know, a middle six two-way winger who can pitch in on offense. And, you know, to see that be on your second line, I think that's a great, you know, and that third line is, like I said, all kids. Like, I think that's really exciting. Yeah, I think Sam Steele's looked a little bit better, too, over the last few games that he's played. Like, it's still, again, it's nothing compared to the steps forward we've seen from someone like Troy Terry. But I feel like he's been a bit more engaged and, and looked a bit more comfortable in that spot. So it's been a relief kind of having that with uh, Zegers coming back and no gets left that you had Lindstrom steal and Zegers. And yes, I know that the ducks lost yesterday, but 
I still think those three lines had their moments throughout the game where they looked pretty decent. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know, in, in all things considered, for for Jacob Perot, it was a a pretty decent debut. You know, a nothing spectacular. He had a few good chances. I think his best chance it was Milano. I think slid a puck across the crease and uh, Perot was falling. Could have got a backhand on it, just didn't have his bounce behind him to put it in the back of the net. And then Zegers one time day, uh, <laughs> one time the puck into an empty net and created a scrum, which was a lot <laughs> fun to see that happen. The and best. then I think 10 minutes later, he tried the flip from behind the net again, uh, which which didn't go over too well for with some of the Rangers players. I know he's going to get shit about that too because his family is Rangers fans. So for him, not only shooting that into the empty net and then also attempting that against his family's favorite team, you, you know he got a text from his dad after the game <laughs> to, to <laughs> tell him take it easy on the Rangers. Yeah, no, that's so fun, you know, to have that kind of stuff and, and to see, like, Jacob Pro's parents were able to be in the building last night for his mm-hmm. game. And, you know, like you said, it was a little bit of a late notice as far as him him getting in. So it was really nice to see. And hopefully we'll see if we get Dostal tonight. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's the one thing I wanted to get into, too, is, is not only Dostal, but apparently Brandon Tracy's also been recalled by the Ducks per the AHL transactions page. So I Ooh. know Pro and Tracy played Friday. Or, or I think so. And then Tracy mm-hmm. yeah. played last night for the goals and had a goal and an assist. I doubt he plays today. Like I, I know Perot was sent back and, and it didn't, you know, it made sense because why would you play a kid three games and three nights? Like that's that's a lot of hockey to be playing. I, I would love to see Tracy get in tonight. I don't think it is. Maybe it's a plan for, for next week. I think the Ducks play Tuesday uh, at home against Pittsburgh. So maybe it's a plan to have him come up for that. Uh, but when you look at the roster, like if Getzlaff is coming back tonight, Perot was out. You know the the top six or top nine essentially remain would remain the same. It would just be Getzlaff coming in for Perot. Getzlaff would likely slot back on that top line with Comtois and Terry. Steele probably goes down and, and drops down a little bit, um, and then you could have Lindstrom, Raquel, Silverberg, and then just depends on who you want to play with um, with Milano and Zegers at that point. And maybe maybe that's Braden Tracy jumping in there and it's Benoit Olivier Gru who drops out. It'd be interesting to see how that goes tonight. But yeah, Lucas Dostal will be another interesting story. It could be three debuts and two nights for the Ducks if it's Perot, Tracy, and Dostal who all get in. Yeah, that I mean that would be a lot of fun. That would be that would be pretty just exciting, you know, especially kind of in the middle of a bit of a, a lull in the Ducks play. They haven't been super they haven't been playing well the last, I don't know, week and a half, I guess. Yeah. Um, two weeks. And so, you know, to give something like that, kind of also try to inject a little extra free energy into the building and into uh, the lineup with kids. And, you know, Tracy is a bit more of a physical player than Perot is. So, you know, maybe he jumps in and on like Tuesday or something and, uh, you know, just kind of gets involved that way and kind of makes his presence known, kind of like how Comtoir and McTavish did early on. I don't want to necessarily compare them, but just like as far as the physicality being the way that they get themselves into the game. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I don't know. It's uh, it's fun, though. I mean, look, the reality of it is the best part about the game tonight is it's probably the finalist for the Calder Trophy. Yeah, the, the three of them, right? Michael Bunting sneaks in. It's uh, Cider, Raymond, and Zegras. Yeah, I mean, unless Bunting sneaks in, right? And he, you know, because he's produced pretty well and um, he's got the Toronto behind him part. So, yeah, he's got the East Coast voters, right? So, 
yeah, you know, and he's playing on a line with Matthews right now. Uh, you know, narratively, there's enough to talk about him being impressive. And, you know, he's playing well. Uh, I don't think he's in the same category as those three just because of how special they played. Um, you know, and I think if there's going to be a spoiler, I, I do think it might be Cider just because to come in at his age and basically walk in and become the Detroit's best defenseman as a rookie is is pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's been pretty. It's been pretty unbelievable what Sider's been able to do. I mean, I saw a move yesterday where he deked around one of the um, defenders and basically had a full up the ice rush and almost scored. Like he has been just as good, if not better. But it's hard as a defenseman, right? I am fighting back. I cough so yeah, much but... right now. <laughs> oh my god. This is that's the kind of good Canadian grit you love to see, folks. He's just powering through it for you guys. Um, but yeah, no, I, it's going to be awesome. You know, Cider's been able to be of impact on both sides. He's got a ton of physicality to his game. He's made some really big hits. You know, he's got the the highlights and the gifts that can get you the kind of consistent attention that helps you kind of compete for awards now because. You know, uh, the way that just social media and just regular media in general, like this stuff is getting talked about all the time and you do kind of need to keep your name relevant throughout the year. And I think those three players more than anybody have the type of game and the type of impact that they'll be around that conversation all year. Yeah, and it really has been all three of them for the majority of the year, right? Like there has been some guys... We've kind of jumped into the discussion every now and then. Like Bunting had the hat trick, I think, in a few good games playing with Matthews and jumped into that discussion. And then uh, Dawson Mercer, when he first came up, had a really good stretch of games. Mm -hmm. He slowed down a little bit. So he entered into that discussion for a bit. But pretty much since the start of the year, it was Raymond and Sider. And then we knew Zegers would eventually get into that discussion. And he, he had that stretch of, uh, of play in December, which really vaulted him right in, back into being the potential favorite for the Calder. So, yeah, this this is a game the NHL, you knew they, they quickly wanted to reschedule and have on the cards because, it's a, it, you know, you wouldn't normally think the way Detroit and Anaheim are playing right now would be a big money game, but it is a, a big money game marketing-wise for the NHL to have, you know, the, the three Calder candidates all playing. Um, and, and it's really the only game, right? Like, there's the game going on now between Dallas and St. Louis. Like, if you want to watch hockey today, you have to watch... Zegris, Raymond, and right. Sider, and that's that's good for the NHL to have them playing. I mean, you know, the the Red Wings. I think uh, most of you probably saw that picture last night after the first period got outshot twenty-seven to one by the Kings. So it bodes well potentially for a, a wide open game tonight, where the Ducks almost uh, allowed forty shots on goal last night uh, against the Rangers and only posted fourteen themselves. So this could be either a ten-ten shot affair or a, a really high scoring game, which I hope is the latter. Yeah, no, I imagine it'll be, you know, 60, 70 shot night just because it's going to be a, a mess. Um, the other player I was going to say who from the beginning of the season had a chance to be in this conversation and then just based on the way it went with the team, uh, he got sent back was William Eklund. Mm -hmm. He even early on, I don't know that he was necessarily producing as far as points, but his play was really good. And you could see, you know, I mean, you see all the reasons that, we wanted the Ducks to take him, right? He was just he's just a really dynamic forward. Um, and so, you know, that one was, it, at this point now, it's, it is just kind of those three. But I think also, 
you know, if you're the NHL, like, you know, we kind of joked about it, but I think it, it wouldn't surprise me if the NHL really did call and was be like, uh, no, you can either make sure he plays tonight or we're moving the game to Sunday. And they were like, I ah, will move the game to Sunday. Um, but is like Detroit's a tentpole franchise, right? They're one of the most important franchises historically, like for this, for this league. And then on top of that, you've got Anaheim, which has the Orange County market and Southern California market, not to mention, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes away from LA. Like, I just think there's so much potential for these, these teams to mean something to the league, right? Like Detroit, when it's going, it's a very big deal. And Anaheim, because of the market and, you know, that kind of stuff, it has the potential to be more impactful. And so I think if you're the league, these are exactly the kind of matchups you want. Um, these are, like you said, the kind of things that are important to get out there in front of fans because, you know, maybe this game doesn't necessarily matter this year, but in three years it might be a, you know, it, it would maybe mean a lot more. Yeah, and, and it's it's always important for the NHL to have – at least one of the teams in in the smaller markets doing well or having an remarkable face. You know, you think um, now Barkov and Huberto in Florida and Stamkos, Kucherov, Point in Tampa Bay, and the fact that those are two of the best teams in, in, in hockey right now, that's huge for the game down there. Obviously, when the Ducks, Kings, and Sharks were, were at their best a, a few years ago, that's huge for the NHL to, to have those teams doing well and having marketable faces and Obviously, Zegris is going to be a big part of that, and you see how the uh, the NHL's marketed him this year as you know an upcoming young superstar and one of the you know the faces of the game, if you want to call it that. I mean, they've been they've been really on that, and and for a good reason. The way he's been playing and and the flashiness and and skill and creativity he's brought to the game is you know it's kind of the first time we've we've seen this in in a, in a player's you know rookie season. I know he played you know twenty six games last year, but to have a kid this young and have you know less than 50 games or just over 50 games in the NHL and pulling stuff off like this it, it you don't see it too often so it's great for the NHL to get behind that and I mean again this I'm excited to see this too because I haven't watched too many Detroit games to see Raymond and Sider for you know a full 60 minutes is it's exciting to see them too yeah I mean you know I mean as far as the small market things considered right like think about how huge it has been to have Nashville be a pretty consistently uh competitive team for the last five or six years you know we're getting Titans linemen at games chugging beers and stuff like that like that that stuff matters you know and even when Arizona made that random run I think to the Western Conference Finals you know that that was kind of a big thing um you know I, I think you know the Arizona thing is all it's a whole other thing or whatever, but you've also got like Carolina who's really good right now. Like there's just a lot of teams in non-traditional hockey markets, right. That are competitive right now. And I think it's really good for the game, especially with, you know, this being the first year it's on ESPN and trying to get more into the national America, you know, us, uh, what do you call it? Like viewership and stuff like yeah. that. You know, I, I think that's that's important. But, yeah, it'll be fun, you know. So I, I always like watching Dylan Larkin, too. I think he plays with a little bit of a feistiness that surprises me. So it's always fun to watch yeah, him play. I think what could have been if we took him instead of Nick Ritchie. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But the one, I mean, at the end of the day, the one that you're pissed about is Yeah, Pastor that's Nick. the big one, for sure. It's that's always going to be the one. That's the one that hurts the most. Um, the one thing we I want to talk about before we move on completely from yesterday's game is another really good performance from Anthony Stolarz. He has been all you could ask for, if not more, since the, the start of the season. And, and I know when 
Miller left, the big question mark was who's going to be, you know, step up and, and help John Gibson out and be the backup goaltender. And, you know, we all knew it was going to be Anthony Stolarz, but had our question marks on would he be able to come in and, and fulfill that role, role he really hasn't had consistently in the, in the NHL. And every, every night he gets in there, works hard, does well. You know, again, allowed three goals last night, but you can't really blame him for the ones that ended up going in. And I just... You know he's he's done enough to solidify himself as the back of the future for this team. I, I can't see why you wouldn't want to keep him around. Every time he's in there, he impresses me. He plays well, and it's a nice relief to be able to you know when John Gibson is in COVID protocol like this, you know you're going to get a good performance from him no matter what. So it, it is a bit of a relief from that, and and obviously we'll we'll see Dostal tonight, which will be another kind of bonus to to see you know the up-and-coming young netminder that the Ducks have but uh, I think Stolarz deserves a lot of credit for what he was able to do to keep the Ducks in it last night yeah I mean I think Stolarz has been one of the most pleasant surprises of this season in uh you know I mean at the end of last year uh we saw Gibby and Ryan Miller struggle a little bit towards the end of the season just you know from exhaustion and stuff like that and Miller didn't have a strong season last year to begin with and we saw Stollers come in and play a couple of games and he was really good and you know there was a lot of reasons to be excited but you know my I personally know that I was very skeptical coming into this year if he was going to be that good again just because I thought the situation was a little unique as far as you know him just kind of stepping in with minimal expectations and the opportunity to kind of shine at the end of the year and he's been great. He's been absolutely great this year. He's, you know, he's got good size. He moves well. He he does all the stuff you kind of want him to do. And, and he's been a really solid backup, uh, like you said. And I think the thing that's interesting is Eric Sinek and Dostal are right, the next two guys. and uh, Maybe now, what's the kid, Gage Alexander? Yeah. Um, but, you know, Alexander's probably four or five, ten years away knowing goalies yeah. and you know, Dostal's just barely maybe making his debut tonight, right? So having um, a guy like Stolarz kind of show up and be a dependable backup to help keep Eric Sinek or Dostal down in the AHL until they're really ready uh, and play behind Gibson, I think has been great. Yeah, it's it's an unexpected plus to having Anthony Stolarz in the system. I mean, you know, when acquired wasn't one that kind of stood out he was just there for depth in San Diego and to kind of make way until Dostal did come over and until Erickson Eck was ready to to take over uh you know a, a more important role with the Gulls and it turns out he ends up being you know a serviceable NHL backup it's really good asset management for the Ducks to bring him in and it you know turns out to to work in their favor that uh you know he ends up being so good and so valuable for the Ducks um you know I don't think he's ever going to be a starter. Um, you know, there, there's a long way to go from the way he's playing and, and them cherry picking his starts. And, and I know every now and then there's ones like this one where he gets in uh, a game where John Gibson is injured or out with, with uh, in COVID protocol right now. But um, it, it still is a relief to have him in there. You know, I, I, again, I think Lucas Dostal is definitely the next in line. If anything was ever to happen to John Gibson, if he was to get traded, or, or you know, moved out of the Ducks organization. Dostal's the next in line to be the starter, but you know, Stolarz does provide a bit of kind of comfort and and consistency that you can make that transition a little bit cleaner. Dude, how much do you think Edmonton wishes they had this version of Stolarz right now? How many good goalies have they given up on in the last couple of years? Can't be that many. <sighs> Let's see. 
the one for me that like and i get why they couldn't but it the one for me is it's just it's hard to for me to watch cam talbot play pretty well in minnesota yeah. and just be like dude you fucking had that guy i mean you know but they ran him into the ground the year that they he played the ducks or they played the ducks in the playoffs he played 72 fucking games that year man like it was insane yeah um, and he was just coming yeah, off being a backup in what new york right like he, and they threw him right into yeah, the starting I think job. That's there right. was no like you're okay. You you play twenty thirty games here. Okay, here you go. And I think that year, like Lundqvist was hurt, so Talbot had to play more. Played like forty games. They're like, okay, now you're gonna play seventy plus games for a team that's not yeah, as good defensively. Like, yeah, I mean, because at that point, shit, Stahl and Gerard were probably uh, or Girardi. Yeah. No, what am I? Who am I thinking of? Yeah, Girardi. Girardi was there. Yeah, McDonough. Yeah, Ryan McDonough. Yeah, McDonough is yeah. who I'm thinking of. You know, I mean that that blue line in, in New York was pretty good. So. Um, you know, and again, now he's playing in Minnesota behind a good blue line. And, you know, maybe that's kind of what it is, is like the places that just, you know, have had a system that allowed him to play well, he's been good at. And then he had one great year for Edmonton and that was kind of his, his outlier year. And he's just, you know, good. Still better than what they have. Right. And well, yeah, that's, you know, I mean, they fucking got my 50 year old Mike Smith back there. And I'm just like, what are we doing? Like, that's just not here's a question. Do you think Ken Holland is the most pissed by this Ducks run? Because if the Ducks were bad, do you think he's calling about Gibby? Uh, maybe. I, I still don't think the Ducks, would, no matter how bad they were, if they were bad this year, would have traded John Gibson in division to a team like Edmonton, who really that's all they need. You know, a team built around uh, McDavid and Drysdale, and you get a goaltender who only makes about $6.5 Like, that's a... It's a huge relief to a team that is going to have a, a you know a window of another five, six, seven years to be good. Uh, but he, you know, he's definitely calling on anybody available. I would imagine, right? Like that's their their big and only need. Like, yeah, sure, they could use probably another winger and another defenseman. Every team can, but you know, I, I think I saw a rumor that if Price was available, the the Oilers would be calling on on Carey Price if the if the Canadians wanted to sell. I don't know how they would fit that that cap in with a $12 million cap for McDavid and, and whatever dry saddle makes, which is around 10, if not more. Right. So no, he makes eight eight and a half. Half. Okay. So, but you know, the, any goaltender that becomes available right now, they're going to be interested. And, and part of that is finding a team who could probably also take Miko Koskinen who makes about 5 million plus. Right. So that, that's been the, that's been the big thing yeah. for them too, is, is, you know, one good season from Koskinen now has cost them with the contract that he has. And, Mike Smith was is good when he's healthy, but it whenever he's healthy is rarely. You know, he, he's rarely in the lineup. It's rare that he's ever going to really play for a consistent length of time for the Oilers. So for you know, I I'm happy to see them be bad for as long as they continue to be bad for. I hope they don't find a goaltender, but the, they're they're definitely going to be looking. <laughs> they're going to be one of the most active teams. I would bet at the deadline. Yeah. So yeah, Koskinen makes four and a half million this year, but he's UFA at year end, so that makes him a little bit easier to move. Okay. And you know, he doesn't really like them right now, anyways. So I thought his contract was worse than that. I thought it was like five with like another so couple of years left. That's not too bad. Yeah, I hundred percent did too. Uh, but no, he's fine. You know, I mean, I don't know, man. They just that blue line is terrible. Yeah. It's so bad. But like before the season, right? Would you have done Puljujarvi, Bouchard, and a first for Gibby, and probably had to take Koskinen back? It, it, I would have considered it for sure. I think it's a great deal. It's just so tough to 
to give a team like that that's like you know that's all they need to be competitive in your own division for the next few years like that that's a tough that's a tough sell would you and that you know you would probably have to find a contract to send out the door with it but would you if you're um what do you call it if if you're edmonton do you call and make that offer for chicken i wouldn't be surprised if they're 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 looking <clears throat> the like, same like bouchard would you, and Pliyar. would you give up bouchard for chicken that's tough because you know more about Bouchard than I do. I don't know much about him, but you know he's right-handed and he seems to be, you know, top four kind of guy potentially. Yeah, so. I mean, I mean, you know, we're, we might as well get into Chick right now, anyway. Um, but you know, the off the ask, uh, Jeff Jeff Merrick was saying the ask the Coyotes want for Chickren right now is a high-end prospect, a young player, and a first-round pick. So if you're Edmonton, that's Bouchard, a first-round pick, and then probably somebody like Broberg or. Well, it depends if you want to consider Bouchard the high-end prospect or, or the young player, right? Because he's already in the NHL. He could technically be considered both. Um, but you're, you're looking at one of their top picks from you know the recent drafts, like a Broberg or somebody like that, to throw into that deal also. I, I think for Edmonton, it's probably not the area they should be looking at and using those assets to get in a netminder or a, a top winger. I think their blue line, it is what it is, at least on the left side with Nurse, is, is decent, but... If you're Anaheim, you have the assets to do that, and I think you have the spare assets to go out and do that. And you know, we'll play a clip here in a bit, uh, that 50-second clip or so from Jeff Merrick on Hockey Night Canada last night. But you know, the Ducks have the assets to do so. And if Lindholm is heading out in free agency, yeah, it's a pretty pretty good replacement to bring in uh, as a young 23-year-old on the contract that Chickren's on. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, no, it's. He's having a great year on a garbage team, man. If you block him into a team that's competitive, um, he's definitely someone who's who's going to be worth the cost. I mean, because he's got what three, two more years on this deal. I think, he, I think he's um, got three after this at four point six. Let us check our. Hands. I thought it was two, and then I remember hearing yeah. I think Darren Dreger say it was three after this. Jacob Chicker, yeah. So it, he goes into the he it's UFA twenty five, uh, twenty twenty five, and it's got three more years after this at four point six, which means uh, that could very easily turn into one of the best deals in the league. Well, yeah, I mean, take this season um, out of it, and you look at the fact he had eighteen goals last year on still a bad Coyotes team. Leave this season in it. Look how good his defensive numbers have been for that garbage ass yeah. team. Like, I don't, I don't think this season is a even as even strength the offense has still been not bad. It's the power play's fallen off the wayside because they have literally nobody to put the puck in the back of the net there. Um, he, he's an obvious bounce-back candidate wherever he goes. He gets put on a better team, he's just going to do better when he's surrounded by better players. Mm-hmm. So it, it's extremely hard for him as a defense. There's not too many defensemen who are going to carry play by themselves on a team that has nobody else, right? Like There's maybe what? two or three in the entire league who could probably do that, someone like Kill McCarr. Maybe you know Quinn Hughes, like with the offensive flair, to be able to do it themselves. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely not many. But you know, Jacob Chikrin, when he's in a good situation, when healthy, when ready to play, one of the best young defensemen in the league. And then you take that contract into consideration, and and there really isn't too many players better than him that you could go out and acquire right now. So, in the clip with Merrick. He says, 
that part of it is losing the potential of losing Lindholm um, in free agency this summer. Given what that Chikrin contract is and how good it is and that he seems like he could be a top pair defender for the duration of that contract, would you almost be willing to lose or risk losing Lindholm in free agency in order to go into the playoffs with that, with those three down the left-hand side for the Ducks? I, I don't think... Okay, I, I'll, I'll get into it. I want to play the clip so everybody has um, context to what we're talking about, and then I'll get into it. Because I think there there's some... Continue, there's other moves that have to be made. I don't think you can have Chikrin as your five. I think there there has to be some corresponding moves. But let's play the clip, and then I'll get into it. Chikrin of the Arizona Coyotes. So uh, I can confirm that uh, at least 10 teams in the NHL have made inquiries uh, about Jacob Chikrin uh, to various degrees of, of offers. A couple of offers have given the Arizona Coyotes cause for pause. And I can tell you this is what they are looking for uh, in exchange for Jacob Chikrin. It's not unlike the old Brent Burns deal, which was Devin Setaguchi, Charlie Coyle, and a first-round pick. So what the Coyotes are looking for is a young player, a high-end prospect, plus a first round pick now teams we believe who have the assets who could do that and might be interested include the los angeles kings perhaps the st louis blues and certainly the anaheim ducks who might be losing hampus lindholm to unrestricted free agency at the end of the season also interest in phil kessel and lawson kraus boston has always been attached to that name john jacob tricker of the arizona coyotes so uh i can confirm All right. Sorry, it's loop in there. But yeah, I, I, I mean, again, covered most of what we said, but wanted to give some reference for that clip. But to, to answer your question and having Lindholm, Fowler, Chikrin down the left side, I, I think if you bring in Chikrin, you, there has to be a corresponding move from the blue line, um, whether it is Hampus Lindholm going to another team at the deadline or, and, or you know, at, at, around the same time of acquiring Chikrin, or if it's Josh Manson. I think the second one's probably a bit more likely, especially if you want to have a bit of a run. I think you could keep um, Lindholm and Drysdale together. The, the, the question becomes, can you, can you really fit Chikrin and Fowler on a pair together? I don't know how that would work. That would be an interesting experiment to see. Uh, or you could treat the two three pairing at that point as you know a two a two b where they they play roughly the same amount of minutes and it's Fowler and who you know whoever Fowler and Shattenkirk or Chikrin and Shattenkirk. Let me ask you this question: I it feels to me that we're overthinking this. There's 60 minutes in a hockey game. You could pretty much play all of them 20 minutes a night. They would all now. That would be down for Fowler and Lindholm, but you can always, you know, mess with that a little bit based on power play time, based on penalty kill time. Like, like Chickering probably isn't going to be out there on the penalty kill. Lindholm no longer has to be out there on the power play. So, like, there's ways to kind of offset it with usage. And I just think if you told me that some combination of Fowler, Lindholm, Chickering, Dreesdale, uh, Manson, and Shattenkirk, like the cap space is there. It's not a cap space issue. That's the thing for me, right? And like, if that's what you're doing, like, I don't know. I would rather almost just take the run with them and and just have that be what it is. And just tell everybody, like, look, uh, you know, whoever's best that night might end up with more ice time. But my plan is to pretty much play you all situationally, uh, an equivalent amount, and just basically have the best blue line in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's bad, and and like I and I don't, I know, understand like I get what you're saying where you can swap. Um, you know, again, Lindholm comes off the power play. Chikrin takes his power play time. Lindholm goes on to the penalty kill. Their ice time maybe doesn't change necessarily, like minutes wise or numbers wise. And if it does, it drops a couple minutes. And it is what it is. I think in terms of you're bringing a player like Chikrin that's going to cost you as much as the the rumored cost is out there. You're going to want to play him as much as you can. And Hampus Lindholm's case is I'm sure he wants to play as much as he can, and, and the way he's been playing, you want to play him as much as you can. And the way Fowler's been playing, you want to play him as much as you can and have him out there in as many situations as you can. And only so many guys can play so many minutes a night. So my concern is you know, going out and acquiring a guy and not playing him as much as you can or should because you have so many other guys. And um, you know, you don't have to move another guy out, but I, I, I think just for the sake of you know roster continuity, like if it's a Manson or Shattenkirk, who, Manson's likely to get get moved at some point anyway. Um, regardless of the Ducks are going for it, like Lindholm is probably the only guy you would you would could argue to keep around and still lose in free agency, because there maybe is a chance you re-sign him or just his value to the team is so important that. You know, you you want to keep him around for uh, for a playoff push, but I, I could see Manson, you know, being sacrificed or even Shattenkirk, and maybe Shattenkirk's a make way. I know that the Ducks yeah. don't have to make the cap work. Both of these teams have just you know probably the most cap space of any teams in in the entire league. Um, but it, it could just be Shattenkirk goes back the other way. The Coyotes get another blue liner for the rest of this year and next to just have NHL players on their roster. The Ducks get Chikrin, uh, and then uh, you know to kind of fill that spot in their top six. And and honestly, I know you know it, it goes against the lefty righty, but I, I like you know a Chikrin Benoit pairing more than I like a Chikrin Shattenkirk pairing. Right? Like I just like the the dynamic yeah. of that pairing a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I mean, think eventually look. like it does have to correspond with with somebody going the other way. Um, this, the cap doesn't matter. I just think, you know, ice time-wise and, and the way you're using guys, um, somebody's got to get moved. Yeah, no, I get that. I think that that's probably the the most pragmatic approach. I just think, you know, given that it is the COVID season and, you know, we're seeing guys going in and out, you know, they seem pretty committed to not playing Josh Mahura uh, for whatever reason. Um, you know, they brought up Greg Patteron and, like, I, I would be perfectly fine if he never played another game again. Uh, he was pretty bad in the first few minutes last yeah. night. Um, you know, so like for me, I just feel like the the upside and the uh, the I don't know, just kind of the the utility that it gives you as a, the sum of its parts is really great. And uh, but yeah, like you're right. Like so, I guess my question, right off the the, the, the next way to look at this is, what are you looking at? offering Arizona if you're the Ducks and if you're Arizona what is the what is the minimum thing you're asking for so like I think a first round picks obviously like that's yeah, that has to be it. and 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 I would say so probably this ignoring year ignoring that if you're Anaheim yeah, you definitely absolutely. want it to be this year too I think yes oh 100% you don't want to get one give up your Connor Bedard ticket but two this is probably the year over the next three that like you're saying this is the most free money thing you know, I think in a perfect world, you trade this one, keep next year, and then hopefully when you get to the what, 2022, 23, 24 yeah. draft, you're using that to add to what is maybe hopefully a contender. Yeah. And I don't think you want to bank on this year being the uh, for, yeah, a, a for sure step forward, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's, 
it yeah. looks like it is. And, I mean, obviously, Troy Terry is a completely different player this year. Zegris is going to get better next year. Same with Drysdale, sure. I, I, you don't want to bank on it yet. And, and all things point to the Ducks likely being a playoff team or just missing out this year. Um, so I, I think you could maybe do a first-round pick and just lottery protect it and then have the, the choice of what you want to do. But, yeah, I would definitely say it, you would want this year's first. Yeah, and, you know, I just think, um, you know, and this is also why I've kind of banged the drum about going out and getting Pavelski or Giroux this year is I don't know that I next year want to expect Getzloff to be this good. I don't think that's fair to him, and I don't know if that's realistic. Um, so I think for me, you know, if there is a way to for this team to show right over the next month, month and a half before the deadline, which I think is in mid-March, early yep. March, um, you know, to show that they can really kind of make a real push and be in the playoff hunt, then I think that there's, I don't know, man, like I just feel like I almost would rather have four or five or six games in the worst case scenario of playoff experience for Zegris and Terry when they're kind of feeling themselves and, and you know, going into that playoff run than this year's 21st pick, you know, and, and that's probably, that's probably not the best way to look at it from a value perspective, but I just think the experience that the players could get in basically just a free playoff round, I think would be really, really beneficial. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I can, I can definitely see that. We've, we've kind of kicked around some different ideas of who would be some, some fun, either veterans or, um, pending UFAs for the Ducks to add to still make a playoff push. I think <clears throat> in terms of adding Chikrin and, and what the potential cost to the Ducks is going to be, like we said, it starts with a first-round pick likely this year, and then you look at what Merrick said, a young player and a high-end prospect as other pieces of that. I, I think we, we've discussed this before in, a, I think, a couple podcasts ago when the, the Chikrin rumors first came up. The Ducks weren't a part of it. We looked at what it could cost to acquire him. I think like Pastuov and Zellweger were names we threw in there as kind of high-end mm-hmm. prospects. Um, I I think you can comfortably, if you're the Ducks, you say no chance to Zegers, Drysdale, McTavish. They're well, off yeah. the board. I think I think you I think the offer right. It starts at Max Comtois and a first, and then you haggle over the prospect. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh, sorry. Go, no, sorry, no, I, I was saying, and I would be comfortable with that. And I, and I think if you're the Ducks, when you, you, you likely say the young player is going to be a forward, just the way the Ducks roster is constructed right now, and most of their young players mm-hmm. they have are forwards, I would be then more comfortable with that high-end prospect being a defenseman. As much as I love Olin Zellweger, if you bring in Jacob Chikrin, it's not to say there is no room for Olin Zellweger, but then you are committed to a future top three of Fowler, Chikrin, Drysdale. And, you know, again, Zellweger could be your four there, potentially in the future, but I, I would be more inclined to a Thrun or a Zellweger than a Pastuov uh, or, or a Perot even of, of that nature and try and keep some of those young forward prospects in the mix. But um, I, I think that's what you're likely looking at, yeah, is a Zellweger or a Perot or a Pastuov, one of the Ducks' kind of top prospects after you get outside uh, Mason McTavish. So I want to jump ahead on our notes a little bit. Um, again, talking about a young player, uh, and you know the one name we kind of have all looked at is Comtois. My question is, is 
should this be the year Anaheim looks at moving Isaac Lindstrom? It could. Is this your hot take that you Is, told me? But Isaac it, yeah, okay. it, like, like, because I think, you know, I've loved the way he's played this year. I thought he's taken a big step. I think he looks a lot better out there. He just looks more comfortable. Um, but I still think his ceiling is a third-line center. Like, I don't think that he's shown enough to think that he's going to be a surprise second-line center. Yeah. Like, it, it, is, is it, is it case, safe to like, say, like, this is kind of what he just could be? Is like, This is it? Well, that's yeah. what I'm saying, right? And, like, it, it, you know, if it's this, like, that's very useful, and I, it's a very important player to have. But I think having Chikrin and Dreesdale in your top four for the next five years – is more valuable than having a, a, a an above average third line center. Yeah. Right. Because like, I mean, look, like frankly, the best case scenario is if Isaac Lindstrom turns into Henrique, we're in a good mm-hmm. spot. You know, I mean, just that, that would be a huge, huge plus for me. And if that's the case, then I think I would rather have the chicken upside and does the way that Isaac Lindstrom has played this year and, and looked a lot better does that give Anaheim an opportunity to maybe maximize his value? I think so, and I think you know the big the big question mark for me in this, um, you know, in one the description that Jeff Merrick has given us of what the Coyotes are looking for, you know, high end prospect that's easy to kind of identify what that means. Like it's a top mm-hmm. one, two, three prospect in a, you know top three prospect in in that team's uh, system. First round pick, obvious, young player. It's kind of vague, right? Like, is it a young player like, you know, Lundestrom or Comtois, who they've, you know, they haven't made their mark yet in the NHL, but they're there, you know, they're NHL players, and and there's, you know, some potential to get better from where they are? Or are we talking, you know, a young player just on the cusp who's still technically a prospect, a Perot type, who, who has a little bit of a higher ceiling but less NHL experience? Like, that's the that's the big question mark. I would lean to probably... The, the first one there, like a Comtois or Lindstrom, so somebody they can kind of put into their roster immediately and make an impact. Uh, I, I think, you, you know, I think there's obviously some big interest in, in Maxim Comtois still in the way he's played since he came back, but I, I would, I would, you know, d- it depends on the team, but I would imagine there's a lot of teams that are really high in Isaac Lindstrom the way he's played this year. And if there's... Which one would you rather give up? I, I, slight edge to, I'd rather give up Isaac Lindstrom. Uh, because I just yeah. I just don't know what else there is beyond this from him, uh, where I mm-hmm. still have some belief that Maxim Comtois can be, you know, a top six power forward, uh, you know, a fifth, you know, twenty twenty five goal scorer, fifty point guy in the NHL. I think he still has that potential, and and he's looked a lot better since coming back. Hasn't put the puck in the back of the net yet, but it it, it seems to be coming, and hopefully with you know Getzlaff coming back tonight and. If we get finally get an extended run of Getzlaff, Comtois, and Terry, I think it's a matter of time before, you know, Comtois becomes a, a big part of that line too. Um, but yeah, I, I would start to be more inclined to, to Isaac Lindstrom because I think you you can find that somewhere else, and, and, or you can draft that again, or you can find that in free agency, and you can find somebody to, to do that. And and not to say, you know, it's an immediate replacement, but Sam Steele can kind of do what Isaac Lindstrom is doing right now. If you, if you you know, you look at next year, or if you have Adam Henrique who comes back in the lineup, he could slot right back, right into that spot and do that right now. Oh, you're you're making me regret bringing this up. Uh, and listen, you're I, making I, Steele and Henry like you're making me regret. Lindstrom it. has been better than Sam Steele by a mile this year, but I, I'm saying the drop off isn't 
immense that you're like, oh my god, what are we gonna do, right? And and whereas, <clears throat> who are you going to replace Maxim Comtois with right now versus who you're gonna replace Isaac Lindstrom with at, at the middle of the ice? Like that's that's kind of where I'm getting at with that. And and I think the way Milano yeah, has played sure. this year, and I think you you like Milano playing with Zegras on the left side. You've got Comtois, you know, you got Tracy potentially Pastorov coming up. I I, I just think. It's a little bit easier to move on from Lindstrom in my belief, but I, I think for both the mm-hmm. Ducks could you could make a case for either and, and the Ducks being willing to move either of them at this point. Yeah, I mean, you know, at this point in the season, uh Lundestrom has eight goals and ten assists, so he's at a half a point a game. And like I, I mean, yeah, like fifteen ish goals in a season seems about right for him. And if that's the case, you know, then like you said, Comtois seems to have 25-plus goal potential, um, you know, and he just adds a nice physical dynamic to, you know, the top six. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, like I said, like I, I think there's a very strong argument to be made that capitalizing on the season Lundestrom's having um, and kind of the 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 – the, the the kind of like free boost that comes with how Anaheim as a whole is playing and he's playing big minutes and playing consistently for them. Uh, I just think there's maybe an opportunity to get uh, the most out of him uh, in a trade right now. And again, like I've, I've loved Lundestrom since the, uh, the prospect game in uh, I think Vegas is the year it was like, I just, I just like the way he plays. He's turned into a player that I like. You know what I mean? He's kind of developed exactly as I've hoped. But at the same time, I think if you're talking about bringing in a chicken or, you know, another like player, right? A def- definitive top four, top six uh, player, top six forward, top four winger, uh, defenseman. Like, I-, I just think it's definitely worth considering, um, you know, because you do have McTavish coming up. And you can always take another center. And f- I mean, you can find a third or left, third line center in free agency if you have to. Um, you know, so I just think it, it creates a very interesting opportunity. And I just was curious where you stood on it. Part of me just feels like the Kings are going to be the team that pulls this off. I don't. I don't know why. It just. It feels like missing out on Eichel. I know the Ducks were further in on Eichel than the Kings were, but I, the, the Kings have been looking to make a big splash, and, and I think they just they have the same amount of good assets that the Ducks do to be able to pull this off. But you think, you know, first-round pick and Alex Turcotte and, you know, a Kent Bay or an Ayafalo or, you, you know, I mean, Bjorn Fodd or something The Kings like that. need this more than Anaheim, right? Yeah, they do, to, to have a, a left-handed defenseman. Kind of, they don't have anybody that. I, I mean, who I don't even know who their their top pairing left handed defenseman would be right now, but I guess if you think Alex Edler when he's healthy, is their top lefty or yeah. or you know whoever's I guess playing with Doughty when when Doughty's actually in the lineup is right. their their top lefty. It makes sense that they're in on it. Um, the Blues maybe not so much. I don't know how they're going to fit him in there. It's like almost an embarrassment of riches for them at that point. But I, I think when it comes down to it, like Anaheim and LA have to be two of the most interested teams. And getting Jake, Jacob Chikrin, when you think look at their development curve of their teams and where they are right now, adding a player like that at 23 who makes just 4.6 for the next three years is is huge for both of those teams' windows. So it could come down to to either Anaheim or LA where he where he ends up landing. Um, 
and I think it's a pretty even matchup. Like I, I think that the Kings have a little bit, maybe a bit more variety in terms of prospects they could offer. When you look at just you know the, they have a bit more centers. If Coyotes wanted centers, then you go to L.A. and you've got you know kind of a pick of four or five different guys. If you want Kapari or Turcotte, or, I don't know Byfield's obviously off the table for for that discussion. But yeah, with the Kings, you have that. Um, you know you have Byfield, so you can maybe move on from from a Kupari or, or a Turcotte and, and go out and get something, you know, a position of need at the left side of defense. And if you're Anaheim, I, I think you might have the better young players to offer up, you know, guys who are a bit more NHL ready, and you have some freedom to move them out in a Lindstrom or Comtois. Um, and the first-round picks kind of wash each other out at that point, and, and it just comes down to essentially what the Coyotes are looking for, what type of player they're looking for, right, at the end of the day. And Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised when the deal eventually gets done and we get down to kind of the final three teams. I wouldn't be surprised to see both Anaheim and L.A. were kind of in it to the end. Yeah. I They've mean, seen a lot of him, too. They've seen a lot of chick run over the last couple of years. So. Yeah. No, he would be huge for them. Um, the other team I think that would need to make a phone call would be Ottawa for obvious yeah. reasons. They need just good players. Um but yeah, no, I you know he would be huge for LA. But shit, if you find out Turcotte's available, I'm calling. Yeah, him. you know what I mean. Like I'll give you Lindholm for we'll, Turcotte. Uh, like, we'll put uh, we get uh, Turcotte and Zegers back together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I just think uh, the chicken thing's interesting. It, it, you know, and and we talk a lot about trades and stuff, and it's you know it's they're fun and stuff. But I also think they provide kind of an interesting or unique opportunity to kind of gauge what you think of the team because you know it's all value which means it's all relative and subjective like you know we can objectively look at certain players being better but there becomes contract issues or age concerns or things like that or health concerns or things like that that like you know complicate the picture or make it less simple and i think you know when you have a team like anaheim who's having this kind of crazy out of nowhere year you know, looking at bringing in veteran players versus bringing in a young player, right? Like, you know, I think having an opportunity to go get a guy like Chicken is almost a no-brainer just because of his age, his contract, his upside. Um, but like you said, there, there's likely a, a, a complementary move that revol- requires you to move out someone else who's probably been a big part of this team for yeah. a while, whether that's Lindholm, whether that's Manson. I mean, hell, even if it's Shattenkirk, the kind of year that he's been having, he's really, you know, stepped up and been a big part of what this team has done. He kind of becomes, the, the guy who becomes the most expendable from Chikrin coming in is Shattenkirk, right? Because Shattenkirk's big value right now is he's a power play option for the Ducks. I don't, I think he's on power play two right now, or, mm-hmm. or maybe he's on power play one. I know the line, line has been shifted around with Lindholm not being uh, in the lineup right now, but he is primarily a power play option for the Ducks, and Chikrin comes in and eats up most of that space, and then Drysdale is still going to get power play time. I think you could convince Arizona again to to bring Shattenkirk back, and again, he takes Chikrin's place on their power play and plays with uh, potentially Gostaspear and another guy you could flip either this year or next year and get some more assets for. Uh, and it's just a warm body going back the other way. Like I think you could convince them to do that, and maybe you add another pick to to kind of sweeten the deal for them to take that contract, or they just like the player enough to bring him in. But it's the one that makes the most sense. But then even then, I still think Manson ends up getting moved, or should end up getting moved, no matter what. Even if Shattenkirk was to go the other way in a Chikrin deal, I, I still think 
Manson mm-hmm. should be moved. I think Lindholm again is the only one you could argue you could keep for the rest of the year and then lose for nothing. But somebody, somebody would have to definitely make way. I mean, hell, if if you have the opportunity for Chipren to play as offside, do you look at extending Manson and just going, or not Manson, uh, Lindholm, and just taking an off pair, uh, a double lefty pair in either your first or second pair you play him with either Fowler or with Lindholm like you know I just think he's of an obvious skill that playing on his offside probably wouldn't be as detrimental to him as it would be to a lot of other players um you know and we've seen Vegas have success and different teams have had success with two lefties or two righties or whatever it is like I'm pretty sure Ekblad and Weegar are both are both right-handed um and I'm pretty sure they're still playing together so you know, I, it just is what it is. But I just wonder if, you know, if you can get Chikrin for the next three years at 4.6 and you can get Lindholm for the next six at six and a half, seven, like that doesn't seem like the worst idea. No, nope. and you have the cap room to make it work too, right? And and mm-hmm. the, the time before other players are needing deals to fit them in and, and make a run with them and, and figure it out, you know, later down the road. And <clears throat> again, you could potentially move Manson out to another team and bring something back uh, to make this team competitive this year or go out and, again, we like we said, explore, you know, some of the UFAs out there or, you know, looking mm-hmm. at a team like Philadelphia who maybe it makes sense for them to bring in a player like Josh Manson and move out a player like James Aaron Reemstijk, which we've talked about before, and swapping some cap hits uh, around and, and using the cap flexibility that the Ducks have. And, you know, there's been rumors that the Golden Knights have been interested in in um, Kessler's LTIR space, so again, you could yeah. use that as some flexibility to to move uh, in a deal as well to get some assets back in return or sweeten the pot in a deal too. So there there is some interesting ways the Ducks could kind of enter uh, the trade deadline and, and use some non traditional assets to get some players in. Okay, so let's jump to that real quick since we're in the the fantasy trade land, anyways. If you're Solomon. Right, who at this point has the executive power to make trades. What are you asking Vegas for? Because you kind of have all the leverage, right? Because they need one way or another to create usable cap space to put together this perfect lineup that they've tried to build. Like, is it like is it gonna get you a first? I don't think it is. I mean, the, the thing is, but, like, you don't know because there's no track record essentially to this type of transaction where. You know the the how valuable almost seven million dollars in cap space is to a team mm-hmm. like Vegas right now. The situation they're in, like it's valuable to any team, but for Vegas just to literally put their roster together the way they want to have Patrick and Eichel and Stone and everybody right. play together and not have to move out a big contract. Riley Smith has been good. Like I don't think they want to lose him if they don't have to, at least for this year, to try and make a run with the team they have. Like, you know, I know Kessler's contract expires at the end of this year. So it is essentially you get one, this run of almost $7 million over the cap to use. But you look at how valuable it was to a team like Tampa Bay heading into the playoffs and being able to acquire all those players and just keep Kucherov on LTIR until the playoffs, right? So it, it is it is right. valuable and, and it has worked. And there's there's proof that, like, you know, having this space and utilizing it that way works and, it, and can be successful for teams and if you're Vegas you think okay we could use this not only to just get all of our players and not have to move anybody but potentially have some extra space to add to this roster the value on that is is 
I would say pretty high. Um, but the problem is we don't have any, you know, kind of track record to look back on and say, okay, this is what this normally gets you. I, I would say in Vegas's case, that's a late first. So, you know, it's, you would, Vegas would hope it's a 28, 29, 30, 31, 32 overall pick. Right. So I, I, I well, yeah. Well, the other thing is, is they, it can't be this year's because this year's is technically lottery protected right. and like, you know, I, you know, it is what it is. So, like one way or the other, it has to start at the very least at next year. So even then, they've got more time to, you know, jerk the roster around, and you know, so that probably makes it less valuable to them even still because you can do things in the process to ensure that it finishes in that, you know, back five or yeah. whatever. No, I, I, I would um, think though, like seven million dollars in cap space has a decent amount of value, especially for a team like Vegas. I, I don't know what it would get you. Uh, you know, whether it's a, a late, the, the, you know, their first round pick or, you know, one of their kind of second, third tier prospects like a Brendan Brisson or, or somebody like that, that you could bring back. If I was the Ducks and I was, you don't have to move it, right? And you don't want to help a team right. necessarily in your division unless it's going to help you. I wouldn't move it unless you're getting something decent in return for it. You might as well just keep it at that point until Vegas to kick rocks and, and you know, figure it out yourself yeah. and, and let them weaken their roster rather than have them get a good chance for them to win the Stanley Cup. But, you know, it, it makes sense for Vegas that they're looking at this um, creative ways for them to, to get around the cap because they're going to need it. And, and Anaheim has not only a lot of cap flexibility, just having a ton of cap space to begin with, but having that contract and, and knowing this player is not going to come back and, and the fact that I would imagine right now it's one of the highest value LTIR contracts out there that uh, there should be a lot of teams interested in, in acquiring that contract and using it, and, which would put, I would assume, a high value on that. Yeah, I mean, like we were joking about last episode, it's going to be the 10th highest cap hit, like, coming off the books yeah. this summer. Like, there is definitely going to be value there, you know? And, like, you know, like, I wonder, like, do Vegas try to get somebody, like, do you take Evgeny Dadnoff back? Like, you know... To, to still help with some of that that cap space, you know, because if you free up five million in player cap space in return for an almost seven million contract, that's definitely LTIR. Like that's that's moving out good money right there. Like that's making, you know, I think that's probably uh, like a net positive as far as like cap it and stuff like that. You're gaining extra cap it. Yeah. You know, but Dadnov has nine goals and eight points. Like I, you know. He hasn't been great, but he hasn't been bad. He's at about half a point a game. Um, you know, I just think it's going to be interesting. And so, like you said, I do think the, the correct mood is to tell him, basically, you give us what we want or else. Because you don't want to be one of those dumb teams that helps somebody out for nothing. And, you know, you could have – I mean, just be petty. You're, you're an NHL team. Well, yeah, petty. and, and – and Make them pay through the Again, Anaheim is, is in that position where, you know, if they wanted to even get more out of the deal and bringing back Evgeny Dadnov, not only does that help the Ducks and their cause this year uh, and bringing in a player who could potentially help them, uh, you know, the Gold Knights at the end of the day have to bring $15.25 million off the LTIR into the roster right now because Eichel makes 10 and Alec Martinez makes 5.25. They only have currently... Uh, $4.9 million in cap space. So they need to basically free up another 10. And you think, okay, you bring in Kessler's LTIR space of almost seven and you lose Dadnov, there's your, you know, over 10 million right there and you have a little bit of flexibility to work with. So there's not many teams out there I think who can offer you both of those and help that. And, and if you're Vegas, 
I, I think you, like I said, you want to keep Riley Smith. He's one of the leaders on the team. He's an unrestricted free agent. He's been really good this year. You don't really want to lose that. There's nobody else in this roster that makes a ton of money that you can really afford to lose. So it, it really is just Dadnov. And, you know, it, it, unless there's another team who wants to take Dadnov and then you take the Kessler contract, if you can do it in one deal, I think they'd rather do that. Uh, and it puts Anaheim in an yeah. interesting position where they've kind of got all the cards and all the leverage in, in, a, in a deal like that. Does Anaheim, would Anaheim have any interest in, Pat, in Patrick Nolan? Or Nolan Patrick? Um, Jesus, Steven. Look how the look how the club works. I think I'd never read a cap-friendly page before. Um, do you think Nolan Patrick's a player they'd be interested in taking a flyer on? I, I would think so. Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't he imagine. He's 1.2. He's 23. I, I couldn't imagine that uh, Vegas, after giving up Cody Glass to get him, would be would love having to give him up. It's not like he's lit it up since going to Vegas. He's got three points in nine games. But you know, I think any team would be interested in a former, you know, second overall pick who's only twenty three years old to potentially bring him in and see what he could do. Um, and if you're the Ducks, if it it means you're you know you just lost Lindstrom in going out and acquiring uh, Jacob Chikrin, then maybe you bring in Nolan Patrick to be you know that third line center and replacement. He's just kind of a a nice extra piece of another deal to bring in and and add to your roster. So uh, it, it gives them a lot of flexibility, I think, um, to to do a lot of different things at this deadline, whether it's adding and selling. I think they could potentially do both, right? Like they're in a position where they have some expiring contracts and they have different things that they could move out. But at the meantime, they also are in a good spot. Second in the Pacific Division could make a run in a weak division. Like the only team I'd be scared of playing from our division in the playoffs would probably be Vegas. I would give the Ducks a shot against Calgary, against Edmonton, against Vancouver, the Kings, anybody like that. So, uh, you know, it, it, they're in a position where they could acquire players like we've talked about and still make a run. So it would be really interesting. I mean, look, the worst case scenario is they get stuck in a wild, they fall to a wild card spot and flip to having to play. Yeah. Whoever's at the top of the central, which will probably destroy yeah, them, a Minnesota or Colorado or somebody like that. Yeah, that's that's the that's oh, the man. worst case scenario. You got to finish in one of the top three Pacific God. Division spots. You don't not want to play uh, one of the yeah. top teams from the central. That would be a nightmare. Just get run over by Colorado. Jesus, yeah, that's brutal. Um, there's a couple of things I wanted to mention before we, we kind of wrap up the show here and, and kind of briefly talk about uh, tonight's game and the upcoming games. Uh, Mason McTavish was reportedly traded from the Peterborough Peets to the Hamilton Bulldogs in the OHL. This is something we talked about before the World Juniors and kind of expected it to happen at some point. And with the OHL trade deadline coming up, uh, no surprise. But Peterborough has been a bit of a surprise this year, but are not a great team uh, in the, the Ontario Hockey League this year. And, uh, you know, they're going to try and get assets for a player who's likely going to be with the Ducks full-time next year. So McTavish goes to one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. It's going to be their first line center. It's great for him. Going to love to see him play with some some better players. Um, Yan Misak, who is one of the Montreal Canadiens' top prospect, plays for the Bulldogs. So it'll be fun to see if they get paired together. Uh, but uh, I think McTavish's first game potentially could be Tuesday with Hamilton, unless uh, a lot more of those games get postponed, as NHL games have, so Ontario Hockey League games have been getting postponed, but it'll be fun to see how he does, because it's a really good opportunity for him to step in and finish the year strong, play on a good team, and, and prove that, you know, he already has proved even more that he's one of the best players not playing in the National Hockey League right now. Yeah, I mean, look, he's he's on the short list, apparently, for Canadian for Canada's Olympic team. 
um, you know, he's getting it traded to a contender at the OHL deadline. Like, you know, at this point, if you're Anaheim, every game that he's playing since he's going to be playing them anyways, that's just naturally more meaningful as a benefit. You know, the, the, the better the teams that he's playing for, the better the teams he's playing against, the, you know, the more important the games he's playing in are like, you know, at that point, that's all you want is you just want him to keep playing in these games. That means something a little bit more um, instead of, you know, playing out the season and, and not making the playoffs. Although I guess, you know, depending on, the timing and stuff, maybe, maybe you're fine with that because then you can call them back up sooner or something after probably moving out a couple of players. Yeah, so, no, I was I was looking yeah. at it and I was like, okay, well, you know, even if their season ends a little bit early, maybe he can come up for a goals playoff run. And then I looked at where the goals were in the standings and I was like, ah, I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen this year, unfortunately. <laughs> so maybe it is um, a black ace for the Ducks. Or can he do that technically? I that's what I was just wondering. Like, I don't know if he can do that, but like, if the OHL season's over, then I don't think it technically like violates the understanding. Yeah, I, I think he would have to. It'd have to be playoffs, right? Because if he plays another regular yeah. season game, then he would burn the year in his entry level contract because he would essentially have played ten games this year, right? So that's the mm, the, sure. the line they're dancing. I I don't. Yeah, playoff games don't count to that. Cause remember, Kale McCarr came up for the Avs and played you know ten or so playoff games for them, and that was fine. But um, yeah, I think. He would wouldn't they wouldn't want him or I don't even know if he'd be eligible to play another regular season game for the Ducks, but it wouldn't make sense for them to have sent him back to avoid that to only have him come up and play games later on. But potentially, if the Ducks are in the playoffs, he'd be a, a nice addition to add in if he could do that without them having to worry about those contract issues. It would be nice to see that, especially if he's coming off, uh, you know, having a a good run hopefully with Canada at the Olympics and, and then. Um, a good playoff run with Hamilton in the OHL. I mean, the experience that McTavish has had over the last 18 months has just been unbelievable playing pretty much yeah. everywhere, bouncing around from pro leagues overseas to the NHL, the AHL, uh, you know, obviously the Ontario hockey league, the world juniors, the under 18s now potentially the Olympics. Like this guy has pretty much played everywhere. I, I think it was Scott Wheeler who put out a tweet, but like the last player to like play, in all these different places as a prospect was like Eric Lindros to, to play, you know, Olympics and world championships yeah. and juniors and pro and overseas and everything. So it's a pretty, pretty good company to be in uh, being compared to Lindros, not to say McTavish is going to be the next Eric Lindros, but he's looked pretty impressive to say the least. So. Yeah, no kidding. Um, no, I, you know, Again, like that's just also, you know, I think that's been the overarching theme of this season. It's just how much positive there is to take away from a handful of these young players. You know, there's still question marks around some of them. Like we still don't know what Steele is. We still don't, you know, like we said, we still aren't 100% sure what Lundestrom is. Um, you know, Perry's been a, uh, Perry, geez, <laughs> Terry has been a revelation. Zegers is a great, Milano's been huge. Um, you know, Dreesdale's been wonderful. Uh, as far as I'm concerned. So like for me, you know, having that other thing of being like, Oh yeah, there's a dude who hasn't been on the team very much this year. Who's like also pretty good and should probably next year step into a top six role. Like that's, that's kind of crazy to me. And it's just, it's, you know, the, the outcome of this season, notwithstanding, I think this has just been a pretty perfect season for ducks fans because you can see what there is moving forward that this team has to be excited about. It doesn't feel completely intangible in the ways it does when they're just prospects. You know yeah. what I mean? 
you see the timeline of when they're tangible yeah, return. when they're gonna get here and, and the fact that they've been playing so well at different levels there's there's a little bit of, of a, a brighter light at the end of the tunnel um let's get into a quick kind of talk about tonight's game the upcoming games and our predictions for this week uh, I feel like this Cam Fowler discussion that we keep putting off is like that bit on Jimmy Kimmel where they always say they're going to have Matt Damon on and he never comes on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, we were going to have Cam Fowler on and talk about his season this year, but yeah, just didn't have time. Going to have to push that to the, to the next show for the third time now. But uh, the Ducks play uh, against the Detroit Red, Red Wings tonight. Uh, we already talked about it a little bit. Um, the Zegris versus Raymond Insider gets slaps back in the lineup tonight. How do you how do you see tonight's game going? Uh, Detroit's had a tough go of it lately. They've kind of fallen a little bit back down to earth, but uh, should should be one the Ducks are the favorites for. No. Yeah, I mean, if Gibby was healthy or not in protocol or whatever, I would say they're probably the favorite. With it being potentially docile, then. You know, you just never know how that's going to go. Like, you know what I mean? He could come in and get shelled. Um, so it, it'll be curious to see. But, like, I think I, – look, I think this should be a competitive game. You know, I think that, uh, you know, Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi and, you know, those kinds of players are – you know, Detroit has the players to make a difference in the game. So, like, it just feels like it's just going to be a futures battle, right? Like, if anything, this is just like a preview of hopefully what will be fun games in three, four years. So, you know, I I would say I expect the Ducks to win, but I don't know how confident in that I am. Yeah, well, we don't even know. Like, it's it's likely a Lucas Dostal start. I can't imagine it would be, like, Gibby's not ready. We know that. What has not been taken out of right. COVID protocol because he was just put in there a couple of days ago. And I highly doubt they would go to a back-to-back Stoloi start. However, we have seen that before from the Ducks, where I think Gibson has played a back-to-back start, um, despite them having a backup goalie. But I, I can't remember who it was, but they had a goaltender who just was they didn't feel was ready. And we've seen Gibson have those back-to-back starts before. I would imagine it is Dostal tonight, which which I don't want to say puts the Ducks at odds and, and makes it less likely they're, they're going to win, but it does throw that question up into the air. Like, it's a goaltenders national hockey league debut highly touted one but still one that that hasn't played pro hockey at this level so um i would still give my favorite to the ducks tonight uh i would say they win i think it'll be a bit closer game than it was for detroit and la last night where they lost four to nothing but uh, i would still give the edge to the ducks do you think we see both the dostal and tracy debut tonight that things seem to be lining up that way uh, yeah i'm looking at the the uh, updates from the Athletic app with Stevens, and he says, appears all systems are go for tonight's rescheduled Ducks game against Detroit. As of now, no new positive tests uh, for Anaheim. Team did not have morning skate. Won't know if it'll be Stolarz or Dostal in net. Um, I, I think Tracy's probably a no. I think three nights, three games in three nights is pretty hard, especially because if that's what they wanted, why wouldn't you just play Perot two nights in a yeah. row? Um, you know? Uh, but I think it makes 100% sense to give both of them the night off. I don't think that, you know, they kind of need that. Um, but I think it's good to give Tracy a chance to kind of just be around the team and, you know, watch from the box or whatever. I think the interesting thing for Tracy is obviously with the COVID protocols in place now, there is a taxi squad, and he was called directly up to the roster, was not called up to the taxi squad. I think that that's the only thing that mm-hmm. I think is like giving people some idea that maybe he will 
make his debut tonight because if you said okay like we're just going to call him up we don't have a morning skate anyway but we want him to be around the team and watch and, and everything and you know we're gonna yeah. give him a chance to, to to just be on the taxi squad and hang around but the fact that you know perot was sent directly back down i think so was buddy robinson and then uh and then tracy called directly up to to the roster that i hope so i would love to see him but yeah three games and three nights would be tough especially for a guy yeah, playing no. as many minutes as he does in san diego yeah i mean he's been a big part of that team you know you don't want to jeopardize that so he can come up and you know play 10 minutes for the ducks tonight so yeah that- you know, I, I think it's just better to have him around the team for now and, and see if he's ready to go come Tuesday. Uh, speaking of which, we got Tuesday uh, at home against Pittsburgh, Friday in Minnesota, Saturday in Chicago. What are your predictions for the three games next week? Uh, lose to Pittsburgh, lose to Minnesota, beat Chicago. Those are just tough teams, yeah. man. Like, I, it's not even anything I feel badly. Like, I feel down on the Ducks. It's just... Those are two really good teams. Yeah, and and Minnesota's you know? winning games without um, uh, what's his name without Eric Sinek right now. But I think Eric Sinek has just been activated from the IR and cleared to come back for Friday against uh, Anaheim, which <laughs> which is not a good awesome. sign. And then Kaprizov, they're still waiting on an update from him, but he he entered the IR at the same time as Eric Sinek, so he would be eligible to come off for their their next game, which is Friday against Anaheim. I think both their, their upcoming games are postponed this week. They're supposed to play Winnipeg tomorrow and Edmonton on Wednesday. Both are postponed, so they're out of action as of yesterday until Friday. So a lot of rest for all of them. We could see a fully healthy wild team, which is going to be not not a lot of fun. Uh, to go well, fully them. healthy and potentially with Rossi and Boldy on the yeah. roster. Like, yeah. that's – and those two – like. Well, whatever. And Pittsburgh's uh, ten or eleven game winning streak. Did they lose the other day? Yeah, they lost. The uh, they lost to Dallas okay. yesterday. So their their that ten game winning streak came comeback. to an end. But and they're not a team you want to face right now. Uh, and as the Ducks know, they they got stumped by Casey DeSmith back in on December eleventh when they lost one nothing. So that's uh yeah, it's gonna be a tough one. I I mean. <sighs> Uh, I I would probably tend to be in the same boat as you. I, I'd love to give the be a bit more optimistic and give the Ducks a bit more credit, but right. those are two really tough teams to face right now. The way Pittsburgh's playing, the way Minnesota's playing, especially if they're going to get like we said with Minnesota, the players back that they are, um, and then you know playing in Chicago is always tough. But I I would give the Ducks, especially if they lose the first two, some some credit, some hope that they'd be able to bounce back at the end of the week there and beat Chicago. Chicago's not really a great team this year, so I'll, I'll go one, one, and two, and and maybe maybe one of those Pittsburgh Minnesota games they get a point out of, squeak out an overtime game or something like that. Yeah, that's what I say. Like right, like you expect them to win tonight or at least get a point, right? Like uh, let's just say you expect them to win, then they you drop a game to Pittsburgh, you drop a game to Minnesota, you come back and you beat Chicago. That's you at five hundred on the week, and then on top of that, like you said. Hopefully you can take one of those games with Pittsburgh or Minnesota uh, to overtime, at which point it becomes a shootout. Maybe you pick up a win in shootout uh, or you pick up a win in three-on-three because of a broken player or something like that. Uh, but at the very minimum, you're going to get that extra point, which at this point is matters because they're kind of falling down they're falling down the standings a little bit. And, you know, they got to pick up as many points as they can because they don't necessarily have the games in hand that a lot of the teams behind them yeah. do. Once Calgary um, starts have actually playing some games, they're going to pick up the like six or seven games in hand that they have on everybody else. So, yeah, like if you know if if, if this season comes out two one one, then I or it's not season. Jeez, Louise, man, I am all over the place today. Uh, if 
you know, come Sunday morning between this Sunday and next Saturday, they go two, one and one. That's a huge, that's a huge week for me. Like, I think that's perfectly yeah. fine. Nothing to be ashamed. Yeah. Of yeah it's, a, it's definitely a tough week. Um, but Gibby, Gibby should be back out of COVID protocol. Windholm should be back at some point as well. So the Ducks are going to get some players back um, that are essentially healthy, but they're just because of COVID protocols, they can't play. So it'll be nice to, to get these guys back into the lineup and, and presumably have a fully healthy lineup. I think the only player still injured is Henrique, right? I think he's the only one still dealing with an injury. Um, and then obviously Max Jones. So it'll be nice to see those guys back in, in a fully healthy roster because we talked about that a little bit. And the Ducks being able to roll out a, you know, Getzlaff come to Terry, Lundestrom, Raquel Silverberg, Zegris Milano, and kind of whoever they want to put on that line will, or I guess if Henry comes back, it would be back to Zegris Milano, Raquel, Henry, Lundestrom, Silverberg. It'll be nice to see, hopefully, a healthy roster and give the Ducks a better chance, I think, against, obviously, teams like Pittsburgh and Minnesota. Yeah, uh, Gibson is in protocol, Terry's in protocols, Everybody's in protocols, and Henrik is slated to return until after Christmas. So potentially soon, maybe this week. Um, yeah. So you know, yeah, sounds about right. The taste uh, is we're beating Pittsburgh because Gibson is not going to be, or Gibby's going to be rested. I thought he was. I thought he originally said because Gibby's not going to play in that game. <laughs> that's what I would have expected yeah. him to say because I just for some reason, man, Gibby plays the Pens terribly. Yeah. One of those things. Um, well, usually it's in Pittsburgh he plays them terribly, but this one will be in Anaheim, so maybe it's a bit of a different story. Yeah, home field advantage. Let's go. Um, but yeah, no, this should be a fun week. All the games should be good. Uh, you know, tonight's game should be fun just because of the skill. Um, the game against Pittsburgh and the game against Minnesota should be fun because they're two good teams, you know, with good players and exciting players to watch. And then hopefully we can beat the shit out of Chicago and feel good about ourselves going into the weekend. It's a good one so. to end the week with, especially as long yeah, as we man. get the win. I can't. I don't want to come out of a I, loss I'll tell you, against Chicago. I'll tell you what, man. If we if we lost all three games going into Chicago and then beat Chicago five nothing, it would feel yeah. worth it. Yeah, vindicated. Oh, that would just feel so good. <laughs> Stupid team. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. Appreciate you guys coming out, anybody who did come live. Um, and I am going to be posting this before tonight's game. So hopefully you maybe had a chance to listen to it in the small window here before the end of recording. Really made sure you had homework. Before this game. If not, um, you know, thanks for listening either way. We'll be back next weekend with another weekly show. Hopefully the boys should be able to join us for that one. Um, you know, all, all things planned, we, we hope so. Um, Jason will hopefully be feeling better and Pat will hopefully be able to join that one, but we'll, we'll see when we get to it. We are well overdue. Um, anybody who is a Patreon member for Patreon episodes, Stephen and I have a long list of ideas that we're working to put together. And uh, I think we will probably have time to record one uh, middle of the week this week, hopefully, and at least get something out. Uh, we have to kind of cherry pick one of our ideas here and, and, and figure out which one we want to do and uh, and get that set up. But we'll have a, a new episode coming out uh, for that. Uh, if anybody in, that is in the Discord or isn't, make sure you join the Discord for one. But we'll post um, whenever we're going to record a show in there and let you guys know what the details are behind that. So appreciate everybody's patience. Uh, we're going to get to that as soon as we can. Same with uh, Ducks Morning Brew. Uh, with the with Ontario here going into another kind of semi-lockdown, uh, it means kids have been put home from school, so I haven't been able to record that. So hoping to get back to those uh, once everything kind of goes a bit back to normal near the end of January. So Ducks Morning Brew should hopefully get kicked back up by early February at the latest to bring that one back. Because uh, I'm missing doing that show. It's fun to do those in the morning, but... Uh, 
Doug Doug Ford had other plans for everybody in Ontario here. So <laughs> I'm supposed to go see the Ducks play Ottawa too at the end of January, and that's like that looks the the Sens haven't played a game in like three or four weeks, so that, that I don't think I don't think that one's gonna happen either. Oh my god, yeah, it's the whole thing's a mess. We were gonna even get into that today, and we just don't have time. So everybody have a good week. Uh, hopefully, like we said, the games go well well enough for us. We get a couple good breaks in the middle of the week, and then kick Chicago's ass on Saturday, and uh, maybe get Sunday morning show feeling pretty good. So all right, take care, everybody.